Gracious Lord, come now, we pray, reveal yourself to us. Um, Lord, uh, take this time humbly offered and make it yours, whatever you would have uh, heard, Lord. I pray that you would speak and unstop ears, be living and be active to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's good to see everybody. Um, as I mentioned, we'll be in the book of Jonah. It's a great little story um, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, highly structured, um, really with a lot of, here you go, a lot of literary panache and style. It's a very tight um, and cohesive uh, structure um, and very approachable. Most of us, I think, probably are more aware of the first half. It's four chapters. More aware of the first half, the, the whale or the great fish, whatever we want to call it. Uh, probably more aware of that part of Jonah than the second part. But it's really structured in two two almost even divisions um, uh, with chapter 1 and 2 um, where Jonah flees from God. Where can I go from your presence? Um, as Psalm 139 would say, and Jonah tries to test that and see how far he can go uh, all the way to Tarshish or on the way to Tarshish and then down into the depths of the ocean and then back into the belly of the whale. And that didn't work. Uh, and then he tries to uh, finally yield and say, okay, I'll go. We're not sure if he's really willing or not. But he goes anyway um, to Nineveh, which is where the Lord told him to go, um, to a, a great city of Nineveh, a Gentile city, um, totally unclean. And that's probably why he was so indignant about the Lord's word to him in the first place. He's saying, Jonah, you, you good Jew, go to the unclean place because I want to love them as well. Um, and it's a great word to Gentiles, which is who we are, of course, um, of, uh, of God's mercy and compassion to, uh, to those who are not part of the, the branch of Israel. And he goes and he, he pouts, you know, and so it's really, it's kind of a, it's a satire, I think, it's kind of a chiding. Uh, and then the Lord, as he often does, as he always does, uh, he has the last word. So that's the four chapters of Jonah, which we're going to read. What brought me to Jonah? I don't really know. Um, a little bit of an extension of where I was last week in the in the stewardship class. And what I would like to draw out, if there was a place to draw today, uh, said a little bit in my prayer. Still, I'm, I myself am very much in this these days. I'm trying to draw out the tension between uh, what sometimes is called the absolute God, God and His absolute. Uh, is unbound, absolute really means free, what sometimes we call sovereign, where he is sovereign and we think of that as a, as a comforting idea, and it is, that God is sovereign, like a sovereign king, and he has complete control and power over his kingdom. And that is, it's good news. But it's good news only on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, on the front end, his absolutism, his unboundedness, his infinity, his unknowability by definition, his unrevealed aspects of who he is, uh, properly strikes terror, terror, uh, fear, awe in the deep <coughs> sense of that word, in the true sense of that word, that mixture. You have to. We don't really have a good English word for it. Luther, of course, coined one called Unsechtungen which has this uh, uh, resonance of, of fear, awe, love, uh, uh, just being struck dumb, almost like Balaam. 
where you fall on your knees like Thomas better probably, my Lord and my God, where there's this mixture of fear, love, and worship all in one. It's not divided. And so that's the hard part. You have to hold it all together. And we call that the absolute God, the God hidden, the one who Jacob, for instance, this is what really struck me in all this is I've been spending time in that old narrative. When Jacob wrestled the angel, but it wasn't the angel, and it was revealed to him later that he wrestled God, and he uh, and he fell down as a dead man, um, and the Lord lifted him up. Well, first he said, "What is your name?" And Jacob says, "I am Jacob, you know, deceiver. I'm the liar. I'm the one who's a hypocrite. It's a confession. I'm a dead man. Uh, I say one thing and do another. The person that I live with, myself, uh, I loathe." And then he raised him up from that, from the belly of his own, as if Jacob was in the belly of the fish. All this happens in the, you know, in the middle of the Jabbok. And the Lord lifts him up and says, no, you are now Israel. You are now the one who struggles with God and yet has prevailed. And so there's all of that, this tension between the absolute and the, uh, and the revealed God, the, uh, the hidden and known God, um, what's sometimes called the, uh, the, the deus abscondus, the absconded God, the hidden and unpreached God, and the preached or revealed God. And where do we know that, of course? The revealed God. Um, the New Testament leaves no ambiguities here in any way, shape, or form, as Paul would say in so many places, but probably in the most succinct way in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. Or as John says in his prologue, no one has ever seen God. Um, and then, very strangely, in language that we really don't have a good English way of saying, the only God, it's talking about the second part of the Trinity, the only God, the Son revealed, He has made Him known. God has to reveal Himself. And so here we are in Jonah, just another place for me to kind of work that out, kind of in fear and trembling with everybody, because I think it has massive pastoral resonance for me, both in my vocation, but, but more selfishly, just for me to make sense of my own life. Um, my own fears, hopes, dreams, uh, anxieties, apprehensions, dreads, worshipful, worshipful moments, my own, on fact, my own moments of my Lord and my God. I am not worthy to be called your son. Uh, Isaiah's utterance when he saw God revealed, away from me, Lord, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And, uh, and the Lord lifts him up. So that's the tension. That's the tension. It's a, it's a primary theme. It's not a say. It's a primary theme through all of the word. So I'm just trying to bring that out to us in lots of different ways. And Jonah is a great place to do it. Because we read it as we should. Um, it's, it's very Christological. Meaning we see a lot of the resonance of Christ. Christ himself in Matthew 12 even said, No sign will be given to this wicked an adulterous generation which craves a sign. What is a sign? Very obviously, a sign is something which points to something else. And, uh, and he says, you all want something to point to something else. Well, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth. So he's given us our key hermeneutical principle big words. Our key way of how do we read Jonah? That's our primary answer. We read Jonah as Jesus told us to read it. They said, like, this book, it's about me. This is about what I'm going to do on your behalf. 
we're going to see strong themes of propitiation, how to appease this this absolute God whose total control. God anoints, you know, the great fish. God anoints the pagan sailors. God anoints the east wind. And I'm always glad about this. He, uh, this is where the worms of the world really get their their uh, their their center stage. He anoints a worm. He even <laughs> says that, and he anointed a worm to come and to chew up a plant, which he had also anointed. God is directing plainly in each part of uh, of Jonah. Uh, so we read it to learn about who God is, the God absolute, unbound, infinite, infinite. And by definition, in a certain sense, unknowable. We cannot know God, Paul would say. The deep things of God are given to us only by knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Uh, as the Holy Spirit is now in us, um, we have knowledge of the deep things of God, but not all things. But there are some things which he wills, which he does not, in his word or through his spirit, reveal to us. Not here. Our heads would explode, that kind of thing. Uh, but the God revealed, the preached God, the one who is proclaimed as the God whose love for the unworthy is his glory. That's still here in Jonah. So that's all the warm-up, because I want to make sure we just read the text. Like I said, it's very approachable. So any comments on that? Any thoughts? Just wanted to highlight some themes. I think it was first time I heard it was George Stephanopoulos back when he was an advisor for... Gosh, he wasn't an advisor for Reagan, was he? Clinton? Well, who was, the, who was Reagan's advisor? Um, somebody said, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell it to them, and then tell them what you said. Is that Stephanopoulos? So, so anyway, I always like that. So I think it's a good way to communicate. Um, so I just told you what I'm going to tell you. Now we're going to do it, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, uh, so any thoughts there? Look for these themes of the unknown God and the known God, the hidden God and the revealed God, the unpreached God, um, the unproclaimed God, what is a proclaimed, a proclaimed God? That God is for you. Because I think, and if I had any kind of movie thing I was going to sort of pull in here, it'd be like the Truman Show. You remember when, what was his name, Christopher? Christoph, you know, Christ is the idea, the God figure. And he says, hit him again, hit him again, hit him again. And it's the storm, you know, and he's afraid of the ocean and all that sort of stuff. And he just keeps beating down the tempest on, um, on Truman. There was that one, or I think, maybe it's the old Clash of the Titans, which I watched when I was a kid, you know, on cable. Uh, doesn't Zeus get bored or something like that? And there's like this big bowl, and he just kind of swirls the bowl. And everybody's like, ah! You know, and Zeus is just kind of doing that. That's, that's an absolute God. That is, if we don't know that God is for us, but by the whims of whatever, uh, uh, they just want to sort of interfere with our lives and do things just to see what happens. Um, uh, look for the tension between that, which isn't the God that we serve, uh, and the proclaimed God who's for us, who goes for us three days into the belly of the earth so that something definitive would happen. And so we'll see sovereignty, restorative mercy, um, the appointing of the, the winds and the earth and the pagans and everything else, um, strong omniscience, and then satire. Um, what is a satire? It's uh, through a narrative form using oftentimes humor, uh, sometimes sarcastic and ironic humor, to point out the foibles of human nature. Um, that's definitely befitting of Jonah. So, so any thoughts? Let's dive in. Everybody found, found it? Found a page number or something? Um, in fact, let me just 
uh, pick it up. Um, so, Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. Um, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For there, you know, actually, I think that's ESV. Let me read it from a what you have in the NIV. What's that? What page is it? All right. Can't even find page numbers in these. It's in the toward the center page number. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. So a couple of things even to highlight. I'm not going to do this throughout the whole thing, but, but, uh, but to, to, at the beginning, I will. Um, the word of the Lord came. So there's something right there. It's always good to just stop whenever we hear about the word of the Lord. And remember this. The word of the Lord is living and active, and it's always external. It has its own activity. It's personified almost, as if it's outside coming. So now, it's going to even imply interruption in a particular point in time. Now, the word of the Lord, this external word, is going to come and invade. So now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Amittai means the, um, uh, uh, the son of faithfulness, or my faithfulness. And so here, um, we're going to see that Jonah is the son of my faithfulness. Whose faithfulness? The faithfulness of God. Because God is going to be faithful to Jonah, as, as Jonah is not faithful to to him, and that's going to be sort of the theme where we continue to see the uh, the Christ, uh, the Christological emphasis here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Its wickedness, or its evil, or disaster—all of these words—we're going to hear this, I think, nine or ten times in these four short, cha- four short chapters. They're all the same word. Um, it's the working of God. Um, through what is called wickedness and evil. In full sight of it, it's not that he can't touch it, he's going to work through it. And so he's setting up the themes very strongly. It's a very tight sort of, uh, uh, it's, it's very similar to a short story's structure. Um, in a very short amount of space, we're introduced immediately to the themes that we're going to be following. But Jonah, but Jonah, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so we hear this um, this phrase now, um, how are, we're beginning to introduce the theme, how far can Jonah run? Where can I flee from your presence? The psalmist asks, Psalm 139. Jonah, it's a very psalm-like, it's written about the same time that the psalms were written And in Jonah 2, he's going to have his own psalm. It's very resonant with the psalms, if you're into those. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Um, This idea of going down and rising up. More themes that are being introduced here at the beginning. The rising up is, of course, going to be resurrection. The going down into death. Going down into the depths of the sea. Your waves and your breakers crash over me. Down into the uh, to the hull of the ship. Down uh, away from the presence of God. Any step away from God is a step towards death. 
and he stepped towards him as a step towards life. So the black and the white nature of life and death, of life in God, life in God that we know in Christ more specifically, contrasted with the unpreached God of moving away uh, in terror or whatever else from the unrevealed God is certain death. So all this is being played out. Then the yeah, somewhere, like if this is the map, um, you know, this is all the Mediterranean Ocean, and like this is all Israel, which we kind of know, and it's right here. Tarshish is somewhere, like an island, so we don't think we really know where it is. Somewhere far away, like where the dragons be, that kind of thing. So it was um, unto the ends of the earth, that kind of part. Um, where was I? Um, so then the Lord sent a great wind, so he's anointing. Um, the Lord is in total control. So the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up, to, to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. So again, some themes that we've already mentioned are coming back. Um, how dull, quickly, uh, can one become of sin? How dulled and immune to, uh, as the flesh does its work and forms its own calluses, can we quickly become? The first time is always the hardest time, and the subsequent times are always the easier times whenever we're doing something, quote-unquote, that we know is wrong. And there he is, going into the hull of ship, down into death, down away from God. Um, so easily he falls into a deep sleep. Um, and then it's the pagans, God's use of the unworthy, God's work in those unworthy who will now repeatedly, here in, in, in 1 and then again in 3, it's the pagans who have compassion. It says, come so that all won't perish. Jonah doesn't really care. He doesn't care if he dies. He doesn't care if everybody else in the boat dies. But the sailors care. And later we're going to see that the Ninevites care about their city. The pagan king turns back to God and he will care about his subjects, um, and Jonah doesn't. And so we're getting all these themes again of going down towards death, going into the dullness towards God, and then coming up um, back to, uh, to a softness of heart, um, the stony heart versus the fleshy heart. So when the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity, and the, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And so here's um, uh, the casting of lots, which is very common, right up to the point where to, uh, to replace Judas after he died, the apostles cast lots, you know, just to see how... Um, uh, how the Lord would appoint uh, uh, his work done in his way in this chronos, in this life. And so that's a very common practice. Um, it's repeated several times. The fear that they have, of course, understandable. And then Jonah's mouthing of, uh, of I'm a Hebrew and I serve the Lord, you know, the, the, the one God, Yahweh. Uh, he seems to say one thing but do another. So who does that sound like? Um, 
So the sea was getting rougher. Oh, wait, did I do this? This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? They still have compassion. They haven't just gone, Well, then, chunking. Let's get rid of the problem. You know, they're still trying to work this out. They're being seen as the heroes. Jonah's being cast as the anti-hero. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men, so he even tells them, but they, they don't do it at first. The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. The determination of God, the absolute God, um, it, it cannot be turned. We're going to see the introduction of what the, the New Testament calls propitiation, hilasterion. Uh, that's what's going to be necessary here. God, in his fury, it gets wilder and wilder, and the obstinance of, of a sinful, selfish, self-centered act cannot be tolerated. Justice will have to be exacted. A life will be demanded. And until he is thrown, you know, it's very sort of Joe versus the volcano. Um, throw the virgin into the volcano. Sacrifice her for many. That's right here. I mean, that's, that's a primary theme. Propitiation, an offering for sin, a life to be demanded. That's being drawn out front and center here. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And so they see things more clearly right now than anybody, with the exception of calling Jonah an innocent man. Um, And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. As the men greatly feared the Lord, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And so the proper response as they confront this unfectum, this, 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 this absolute, unbound, infinite, unknowable God, is to fall down, to make a sacrifice and a vow, to, to, to bend a knee and say, You are God and I am not. Have mercy on me, for I am a man of unclean lips. My heart uh, is... is uh, is turned by you. What we don't know... Anyway, I'll, I'll stop. Any comments there in chapter 1? Oh, and then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Of course, we Christians hear that and we immediately find some some, some resonance there. So here's the introduction of the fish or the whale. Um, the word just means some big big sea thing. Um, could be a sea monster, could be a whale, could be a fish, whatever. So he swallows and ends up in a tomb, an acid-filled tomb. What an awful thing, but there it is. Any thoughts? Chapter 1? I love that all those men's hearts were changed and they made vows to the Lord through that the storm and the sacrifice. And that's what happened. Yeah. Question? Yeah. Is this term word that's used in the first sentence, the same as the, the term word that's used in the first of John? Um, well, it would be logos in John. You know, I don't know what it is in the Hebrew here. Um, what is it? In, in John, you, you get the notion of the word sure. is Jesus. Sure, right, right. 
Well, in the word before that, it took on this more nebulous term, the Logos of God, the Logos Deus, the Word of God, uh, which had a root in some Greek philosophy. And, and in some ways, it was an absolute and unbound uh, idea until John narrowed it and said, the Word became flesh. The Logos became carne, become sarks, uh, and, was, um, and dwelt among us. And so John takes a very wide and common word that says the unbound, unknowable description of that which ties all of life together, logos, now becomes very bound. The abstract becomes concrete. The infinite becomes finite. That which is outside of time becomes limited and lives in time. And so John's prologue, really, you just can't plummet enough. I mean, John 1, 1 through 18 has an, a massive, massive keyhole unlocking so much of the scripture. Um, the idea would be here that the word of God, which Mark were here, that's what Mark's for. How come he's not here? Um, uh, I usually call him, Mark, what's this? And so he tells me. Um, it's a great question. I don't know it. I'm, I do know the answer is yes. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's the, that's the tension that's being brought out here. The logos of God, the word of God. And the same word which was in the beginning uh, when the word of God, when God spoke, let there be light, there was light. Let there be separation from chaos and to create order, the created cosmos. Um, as the spirit of God hovered over the deep in, John, in Genesis 1, 2, uh, that's all very much here. It's a great pickup. Yes. So now let's read Jonah's prayer. Um, we looked earlier, it says, Now the word of the Lord um, came to Jonah. Now, finally, we're going to hear uh, uh, Jonah begin to turn. Very similar to the way that um, always on Good Friday, when you read the great um, uh, reading of the suffering servant from Isaiah 52 and 53, the word, one of the ones that comes out to me most jarringly is, I think it's 53.10, when it says, and it was the will of God to crush him for our iniquities. Every time I read that, I come to tears. That's the absolute God, by the way. Um, and then we, uh, and that's very much here. It was the will of God to take Jonah all the way, quote, to the ends of the earth to, uh, to, to do his work through Jonah, to limit all of his hopes for the great city of Nineveh on this one man. And he would have his way. It was the will of God to crush Jonah. Uh, to bury him in the belly of the whale. And now we're going to hear this when we're saying that because now when we read Jonah's psalm, which is really what Jonah 2 is, it's a psalm. Uh, hear it as we read mo- many of the psalms, the actual psalms. Hear it as if it's Christ's voice. Um, uh, the waters have closed over my head. I've descended into the deep. All your breakers have come over me. That's very similar to, uh, to Psalm 42 and fo- Psalm 43. Um, uh, as, a, as a, a strong Christological or Christ resonance. So here, here I'm going to read this without comment first, just to hear Jonah's two. I think this is I think is a powerful, moving chapter in the Scripture. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, "In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and You listened to my cry." You hurled me into the deep, to the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me forever. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I think this is beautiful. I mean, I, just, I almost cried just when I was reading it, as I do almost every time I read these words. Um, uh, it's so strange. Here's the, re- the beginning of the revealed God. And where is He revealed? We always pray from somewhere. Do you notice when you said, and then from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. So our lo- Jonah's location of prayer is from his tomb. His location of prayer is from inside the belly of the fish. His location of prayer was from that point of need, whereas it was the will of God to crush him, that he cried out to God. I cry out, my Lord and my God. Um, from his place of, from his location in a particular point in time, God revealed himself to Jonah. And God revealed uh, his strange salvific work. Now that's where it quickly moves to a place of Christological importance, where his God reveals his strange salvific work, where the breakers and the waves and the seaweed and all as Christ descended all the way to the roots of the mountains, you know, he descended into hell. That he goes all the way down till the depths of death Christ descended so that he would rise again and be victorious over all the enemies of God. Why? For me. For you. For Nineveh. For the ones who Christ says, or for the one who God, now the revealed God says, I will have mercy on those whom I will have mercy. As he quotes in Romans. And it's all captured here in this psalm of Jonah, the tension of the absolute and the revealed God, the God becoming known with all the Christological import that we could put upon it, that it's not going to be me that the Lord calls and pulls down into the belly of the whale, for the sign to this wicked and adulterous generation has already been given. That The sign of Jonah is that God has gone three days into the belly of the earth. To put it really starkly, God lives even in hell. There is no place, there is no place that's outside of his appointed, anointed, omniscient, omnipresent reach. That all things and all manner of things are under his thumb. That will become a great word of hope when it is revealed to us that this isn't Zeus doing this, but he's for us. His glory is in the love of the unworthy. So that's a stop. It's a short sermon. Comments on that? And then we can probably just read without comment the next two verses, text two chapters, because they're very short, just to tie this up. Any thoughts on that?
I think Jonah 2 is the uh, the meat of the psalm, of the, of the book. I love the thing about the worm, just because it's fun. And Jonah pouts, and he just looks like a child. He just looks like me. Do you do well to do angry? And Jonah, God asked him that twice, and I'll tell you that. And the second time, Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. Why are you saying I'm angry? So, and he's like, okay. You know, he just totally reveals himself to Jonah, then, which then Jonah sees. We see who Jonah is. We're not really sure if Jonah sees who he is. So, so that's Mar- where we're headed. When we are blessed by God, or when God gives us blessings, we see his hand. And when we, are, when we have suffering, we see we see his face. Huh, that's good. Where did you get that from? Her like, brain. Like the provision that <laughs> so we see no, him. And so, when you yeah. say the Lord has revealed it through his suffering, he yeah. saw God. I see the Lord face to face yeah. and did not yeah. die. Yeah. So, away from me. From When Isaiah saw his face, yeah. he thought, I have to die now. This is it. He says, no, not this time. Holy, holy, holy. The trisogon. So, let me just read without comment um, three and four and then we'll wrap up. So, capture any comments you want to make um, as I read these. So now Jonah goes to Nineveh um, in the same way that he first said no. He now willingly, unwillingly, probably mixed, says yes. Now we're going to see the same way the sailors were set up as heroes. Now the Ninevites are going to be set up as heroes and Jonah's going to be really mad. He goes out and he pouts and he thinks that maybe my little pout is going to make God pay attention more and God just kind of laughs when he says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah ignored him, does a little bit more, he provides shade, then he sends the worm, and then Jonah wakes up mad, and he's kind of faint because he's having a heat exhaustion, and then God talks to him again, do you do well to be angry? Yes, I do well to be angry. And he's like, shouldn't I just have mercy because I want to? That's what we're going to hear. Then the word of the Lord, so the same structure, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started for the city, into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. Let me put some import on that. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is not this what I is not is this not what I said when I was still at home? <laughs> That's really funny. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? 
Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you do not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should not be concerned about that great city. So it just ends very sort of off tonic, you know, just this rhetorical question um, when the, the answer is obvious. There's a didactic part to this, of course. Uh, you know, the Lord gives and he takes it away. Um, he uses all that, you know, let me provide him some shelter, but then I'll take the shelter away just to kind of let Jonah see who he is, his own selfishness, that he's so far to the extreme, probably in his defense, because he's a good Jew. You know, again, he's the sort of guy that I would want my daughters to, to, to marry. I mean, he's, he's obedient, he's faithful, he's loyal. He says, look, Jews are for the Jews. You know, we are the people of the promise. Um, we, 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 we fast, we obey, we, uh, we are faithful to all that he has said about us. And now you're asking me to go out to do all of that? He says, I won't do it. I'd rather die. And he just gets up there and he says, and he was angry. Do you have a right to? I do have a right to be angry. You're not who you said you were. He says, well, look, I said in Joel, and you know this, that I am a faithful, compassionate, long-suffering God. I will have mercy upon those whom I have mercy. If I want to have mercy on Nineveh, to the Goyim, to those who are unclean, to the unworthy, to the sinners, to the stray, to the one who left, to the one who's eating at a pigsty, to your son, to your daughter, to you, in the middle of all your anxiety, your fear, your hubris, your, your self-determination, your atheistic attitude, if I want to have mercy on you, I will. Isn't that okay? And that's kind of where he leaves it. Let me pray. Lord, take these feeble words, make them yours. Turn our hearts, Lord, uh, as it was your will to crush the one who is not just with us, but for us, from his for usedness, Lord, from the Lord's being for us. May we now look with wondrous eyes, no longer in that fearful, awed, terrible place, but now with wonder, love, and praise, and ask, who is that, that he should be for us? in the middle of all that we are. And more than reveal your gracious, abounding compassion. Um, for your sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen.